When we think about Jesus, we think about kingdom. kingdom. It's super important because as we get away from saying this every Sunday, I care about you thinking about that. I also care about you thinking it because it's so practical for every part of your life. There are things going on in our nation. There are things going on in other nations. And by the way, other nations are not less important than our nation because all of us need to know King Jesus together. Other people, their deaths aren't less important than deaths stateside, although we certainly care about deaths stateside. We need to also walk into a world to say, hey, we're a part of a kingdom, and that kingdom is not America, that kingdom is Jesus Christ, okay? And so, I, man, I know I say some of those things sometimes, and you might start forming all these opinions on what political experiences your pastor has, and if I'm anti this, I'm not. I'm not trying to say any of that. I'm saying that the most important thing is a king and a kingdom, because all authority has been given to Jesus. And so as we, as we walk through a time when we're going to hear about terrorists, and we're going to hear about uh, 9-11 coming up, and all these things that, that wrap us around, the rough things that have happened, the 13 that died recently, it's so awful. And people are going to start saying things, and you're going to start reading things about who Jesus is, and what a just war is, and stop. As soon as someone says Jesus, I want everyone who's been here who knows that we're talking about a kingdom. And that's what we need to be wrestling with and answering. Okay, that's a hot take. That's not even my notes, but I feel like we need to hear that this morning. That we're talking about a kingdom, and we need to be asking the questions Jesus is trying to answer. We don't need to be answering the questions Jesus doesn't spend any time on. Jesus spends a whole lot of time on his kingdom, and that he has all authority. And so that's where we start. And that doesn't mean we don't end somewhere else in the political realm. Maybe that does happen, but if that's where we start, we're going to miss it. If we start on social media, if we start with our opinions, our ideals, we're going to miss it. Jesus says, I've come to teach you the gospel of the kingdom. And the main cry that he has right from the beginning is that we need to repent. Repent. We wrote this word last week too. I'm going to put stars around it this time. We repent. The word repent means to change your mind. I know you've heard me say this a hundred times, but we've got to keep talking about it. Uh, kings used to write letters to each other. It's not a Christian word. Repent means to rethink about the things you think about. Some people say it means to turn. That's fine, but you can't turn unless your mind changes, right? And so in general, they would say, hey, repent of this war because I'm going to come wreck you fools. And so they were repenting. They were, they were turning from the war. They were having a change of mind, a vision, realizing, hey, you, you king, repent from your thought of this war because it's wrong because I'm right and I'm going to come destroy you. And so repentance is not just this hyper-spiritual thing where a cloud envelops us and we start hovering a few feet higher than everyone else and we have repented. Ah, it's you change your mind. And God loves you enough, he's a loving father, to say, your mind is wrong. You could be wrong. And Jesus says you need to repent. Why? Because you need to believe in the kingdom. The kingdom's here. You're missing it. Change your mind. And so that's where he starts. Uh, Jesus said uh, last week we talked about that the road, the gate is narrow and the road is hard. There are two reasons why that is the case. We talked about it. It requires radical repentance. I think it's going to be up on the board. Radical repentance and through Christ alone. It requires a radical change of mind to believe that you don't have any power, control, authority. That, that actually you, you, you need to enter through a narrow gate. That all these pluralistic, all these random things out there, these relativistic ideas, none of that might actually be true. What if Jesus really meant it's a narrow gate and few find it? What if he really meant that it's a hard road? It's a hard road because it requires radical repentance. We don't like it. We don't want to do that. And I think it's worth thinking about. What repentance do you still have in your life, in your family? as a husband, as a father, as a wife, as a mother, as an employee, in your jobs, in the way you drive your car, in the way you spend your money, in the way you spend your time, in the way you watch Netflix, in the way you use TikTok. In what, in what ways are you not experiencing radical repentance? 
God, I pray that you would move in your spirit, that, that we would know those things. We would know the things we need to repent of. Your spirit would speak to us. Guide us as we read your word this morning. God, give us ears to hear. Your spirit, you tell us that your spirit will come to teach us all things and bring to memory all things you've taught us. And so I pray, God, that that, that would be happening today, that your spirit would move and that we would know, uh, would know who you are, that we'd be known by you. We'd see your kingdom come and your will be done. Radical repentance and through Christ alone. Jesus says, I am the gate. No one enters except through me. If you enter through me, you'll be saved. And so if we're going to follow this narrow gate, if we're going to follow this hard road, if we're going to seek the kingdom, then we must repent. Radical repentance through the narrow gate. What if, man, we asked this last week, and this question's been really bothering me for, for a couple weeks because it's, it's kind of a silly question. You grow up in church and Sunday school. You grow up seeing Christian things. Some of you, you know, were born and bred in Baptist waters, and you just, you know all these things. What an awful image, born and bred in Baptist waters. Wow. Uh, I take that back. That's awkward. But uh, some of you have just been here forever. You've been to church. You've been in Sunday school. But then some of you, you at least know the language because your mammy, your pappy, your grampy, your grammy, they've all talked about it. You've seen it around. Every time I say it, I feel like I need to be rapping. Your mammy, your pappy, your grampy. Your grip. Anyway, and so, like, a free flow this morning. Y'all get ready. It's coming. Uh, stay steady. Gonna rap about the Bible. Okay, never mind. Anyway, wow. Back. Anytime we talk about this, um, Jesus said we've got radical repentance through Christ alone. And we have to ask, what if Jesus meant what he said? Because so often we've heard these things so many times. We've heard about the narrow gate. We've heard about saved by faith through grace. We've heard about all these things. But what if Jesus meant what he said? What if, what if he actually meant that it's a narrow gate, a hard road, and few people find it? I think that question should give us really uh, a lot of pause. The last part in the Sermon on the Mount, our, goal, our whole goal today is to kind of take a few uh, flutters back. Flutter? We're going to fly backwards and we're going to look over the Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going to look backwards to Judges, and we're going to kind of think about where we're going as a church as we look uh, to study Judges for 11 weeks. The last verses in the Sermon on the Mount look like this. It's Matthew 7, 28, and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So uh, a couple obvious questions here. Um, how did the crowds respond to Jesus' teaching? It's underlined. They were astonished. Right. Why were they astonished? It's underlined. Because he had authority. This is a strange thing. This is a poor Jewish carpenter from, from you know, uh, from... Uh, Nazareth, gosh, where am I? Galilee, Nazareth. He's from Nazareth. Anything good come from Nazareth? He comes on the scene and he's teaching them, right? And they're like, hold on. We're astonished because he speaks with authority. The people who speak with authority in Scripture in memory are people like prophets, are people like Moses, are people... Interestingly enough, this is super Bible nerd. Pay attention if you're like super Sunday school nerdy people. But, hey, Jesus went up on a mountain to teach. He taught the words of God referring to the law, and people were astonished that God spoke to them through Jesus. You know what that sounds like? Moses. And Matthew was very intentional about uh, paralleling Jesus and Moses together, right? Time in the wilderness, being tempted. Time, we don't have time for all that. It's interesting, though. And the readers here, they're like, hold on. Is this, is this the Messiah? Is this the one who's come to, to teach us all things, to, to make things right? And so Jesus speaks with authority, and they're astonished because he has authority. It's a very simple question today. Do you believe Jesus has authority? Do you believe he has authority? Because 
here's the thing. I submit that by my actions, by a lot of your actions, by the way that we use social media, by the way that we use our free time, maybe we don't really believe Jesus has authority. Maybe we believe that we still have a little bit. That ultimately he's going to make all things right because everything kind of sucks and, you know, got this stuff in Afghanistan and people die and everything's rough and we can list all these things that have happened and, by the way, there's still a pandemic going on if you didn't notice. All these things. And one day, my eschatology says, one day God's going to obliterate the earth and we're all going to wisp away with harps in heaven. That's not what the Bible says, by the way. But that's what cartoons told us. So one day, God's going to just make it all perfect and then it'll all be happy. But for now, I've got my authority, my kingdom, my 401k, my life, my stuff. And I think that sometimes we need to have moments like today where we pause and ask, what if Jesus meant what he says? What if he really has all authority? Because later, Jesus outright says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority. Because of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, He's purchased you, he's purchased, uh, he's purchased us, a people, for his own. He's made us right with God. He has all authority. I think many of us struggle with that. Jesus spoke with authority, and that authority called us to action. This is why he ends his sermon, like we talked about last week. He says, enter through the narrow gate. It's a hard road. This is why he goes on to say that there are wide and easy roads that lead to destruction. I don't know if you spend a lot of time driving in the Midwest, but I want to take you back to a simpler time. Imagine it's 2004. You graduate high school, or some of you were... 50. Uh, uh, so you graduate high school in 2004 and you're going to go to college and you get your first girlfriend and you just, you've got it all figured out. Everyone's dumb and you know how the church really works. You know how ministry really works, you know. And so uh, you're above your ministry classes, you're above, uh, who could I be talking about? Uh, and so you're, uh, you're at a, a, a liberal arts university, which is much less liberal arts nowadays. There's a whole lot of things I could say about that, but that's beside the point. Uh, you're at a university called SBU in Bolivar and you're going to go preach. Your girlfriend lives in Bell, Missouri. Raise your hand if you know where Bell, Missouri is. Raise your hand if you know where Rolla is. Y'all know where Rolla's at, right? Some of you live there. So, hi. Uh, so, um, you know where Rolla is. Can we pull up a map? I've sent you an image of a map, maybe? Yeah! So, Rolla is... Right there, right? So, here I am in Bell, Missouri, which is near Rolla. I'm supposed to preach in Riley, Kansas, which is above Manhattan. I cannot jump that high, but it's up there. There's a button up there. You see the little red thing? So, I'm supposed to preach in Riley, Kansas, and I am just the most young, arrogant little kid you can imagine. I know all the stuff, and I can do this church thing, and I, don't, I didn't even talk much to the pastor beforehand because, of course, I'm going to come and speak the words of God and whatever. Uh, it was one of the first times I had preached and, you know, one of the last for a very long time at that moment, but uh, I'm visiting my girlfriend in Bell, Missouri. Uh, she bought me this tattoo. Oh, cute. So we're in Rolla, huh? Some of you are really upset uh, that I have a tattoo. I'm sorry. But so uh, uh, it means lover of God. So does that help? No. Okay. So I'm in Rolla. I need to get to uh, Manhattan in Kansas, Riley, Kansas, which is just outside of Manhattan. And so I think, you know, when you look at a map, this is before iPhones, when you look at a map, the big yellow roads are fast roads, and all the small ones are slow roads. And so I decide, this is before I lived in Jeff City, you know what's fastest, girlfriend? We should drive to St. Louis so we can get on the big 70 road to Kansas City. Man, this is so embarrassing. I didn't realize, saying it out loud, you feel even more dumb. So we did. 
And so I leave her parents' house in Bell, Missouri, and they don't know what we're doing. They don't know that her boyfriend's just the, the biggest idiot. Just the biggest idiot. And I drive to St. Louis, and we drive all the way to Kansas City, and then we drive there. And here's the thing. We took the wrong road, right? Uh, I was going to have Jason come up here and tell us all the right roads to take, because Jason's probably one of the best drivers I know. Uh, some of you are like, ooh, maybe not. No, he really is. He's a really good driver. He spends a lot of time on the road. And all of you here laugh, because what a stupid thought. Who in the world taught this young 18-year-old kid that I'm from Springfield? We don't come up north, right? We don't drive in this area. So I, did, I was on the wrong road. And it led to destruction. It led to a lot of problems. We were late. Uh, there was tension with my girlfriend and I. I looked like an idiot when I got there because we are super late. And then, man, I, I rode this for so many years. There's so many people in my life that were like, oh, yeah, David, how do you get to Kansas City? And that's, that, was like, that was code for, you big idiot, you don't know how to drive, do you? And the thing is, I, I feel like I'm a pretty good driver. I feel like I'm pretty good with directions. Um, unless my wife and I are, are co-pying together, then it's, it's a pretty big tension um, because of how you read maps and stuff. But uh, we were late. Lots of tension. It's on the wrong road. Jesus tells us there is a hard road, that there is a narrow gate. And this is a silly analogy to let you know that if you're on the wrong road, it leads to destruction. Jesus says that. And I think that sometimes we, we miss that. I want us to consider for a moment, there is a right path. There is a wrong path. You could be on the wrong path. How would you know? Jesus. Jesus is how you would know. Thank God that he's brought you here. Thank God that he's brought you through a Bible-believing church this morning that we can talk about who Christ is, what the gospel is. The wrong road leads to the destruction. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24, before he you know, talks about the rocks and the sands and all that, he specifically says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus spoke with authority, and he intends for us to listen and follow him. What if Jesus meant what he said? What if Jesus does have all authority and he really intends for you to follow him on the hard road through the narrow gate? Now all of a sudden we have to start thinking, maybe I'm trying to get to Kansas City by going to St. Louis. <laughs> all right, hold on. Maybe, how would you know? I was so confident. And then when I started talking to wise people, I realized, man, I'm really missing this. You can look at a map and actually even do the old school thing of figuring out how many miles, and that's a dumb way to go, right? God's given us a map. He's telling us the right way to go. Are you listening? Are you open to that? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, Jesus intends for us to respond. Look what Paul says in 2 Timothy. We're going to talk a little bit, kind of an overview of the Sermon on the Mount, and I think that it would be helpful to read uh, this, this quote from Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. He says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, which could also be people of God, person of God, that the person of God, the man of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is breathed out by God, all scripture. Um, Paul wouldn't specifically be talking here about the written words of Jesus, probably, because that might not have been written and circulating in the same way, but he was certainly talking about the words of God and, and the law, the same way Jesus said the law, none of the law will pass away, right? Um, that Jesus is going to fulfill it. But Paul understood that these scriptures are breathed out by God, and God is teaching us with his word, with his law, to make us complete, equipped, for every good work. I like that he says breathed out by God. That reminds uh, Hebrews. Everyone hear that? Ruach, right? Say ruach. Ruach. Ruach is a word that means breath. It means spirit. When God created man, he breathed into our nostrils to make us come alive. That breath is called 
ruach, right? And then all the spirit, the word spirit all through Old Testament is ruach. It's got an, it's God's animating force. When someone would die, they'd say the spirit of God is leaving them ruach. There's something going away from them, right? If you've ever watched someone die, like there's something medical, sure, that happens, but also there's, you can feel them not be there anymore. Something, some, when, when we come and see a, a dead person in the casket, as Christians, we, we kind of acknowledge, uh, but they're not there anymore. There's something fundamentally gone beside their body. There's some, ruach, this animating force of God. And later on, uh, the Greeks, this word would have been pneuma. But this whole idea, when Jesus gave the Spirit, he said, receive the Spirit to the disciples. He breathed on them. There's something about breath that's very powerful in connection with the spirit, also connected with wind, uh, the wind and the breath that rattles dry bones. There's, there's a lot of things here. And he says all scripture is breathed out by God. It reminds me of John 6, 63. I didn't put it on the board because uh, I want you to look it up. <laughs> look up John 6, 63. Grab a device. Grab a friend next to you. This has been one of the most transformative verses for me. Uh, I don't know if you guys have life verses or whatever. I don't know how I feel about the idea of a life verse. But coming from uh, backgrounds of addiction and, and a lot of struggle in life and, and all the different things in life, there was a moment where this verse hit me and I realized I, I want to I make sure that this is a focus of mine. Jesus says it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no help. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. God's breath, his ruach, his pneuma, it is that that gives us life. His Holy Spirit, Jesus calls it the counselor, the helper, it'll enter you. It is what gives you life. My flesh is of no help. All of my little thingies I do, all of my little stuffs and, and things I control, my authority, my pretending ideas of glory, all of that is of no help. The words Jesus has spoken to us are spirit and life. And you can bet Paul had an understanding that Jesus' words were spirit and life. That this, this word that was breathed out. And it could be used what? For reproof, for teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work. This is the synopsis of the Sermon on the Mount to me. That Jesus is giving us... The boundaries of the kingdom, the way of the beyond. This is how the world is actually supposed to function, right? And it's to equip us for every good work. Because there are good things that you can do, and you were created to create good things. And then there's things that aren't good. And some of us believe that there are part, there, meh, there are these things in life. Meh, meh, no, here, I can do this or that. And we never stop to question, hey, is the way I approach my family maybe not good? Or maybe not God's goodness? Is the way that I approach my marriage not goodness? Is the way that I approach Facebook maybe not God's goodness? Is the way that I approach my patriotism maybe not God's goodness? Is the way that I approach my politics maybe not God's goodness? Is the way that I approach my addiction maybe not God's goodness? It's not His righteousness. It's not being useful for teaching and reproof. It's not the breathed out word of God. But it's something else adulterated, something less good. There is a narrow road. There is a narrow gate. There is a hard road. What if Jesus intends for you to hear this morning that you're missing it? There is a good way you can live and a bad way you can live. And Jesus spoke with all authority. How would you know? You don't know what you don't know. Please. What, some of you may be hardened Christians who've heard these things a million times and so you're past this message. Don't, don't be that person. Take a deep breath and open your hands and say, what, what could I be missing? Of all the parenting books and Christian plans I've read and all the ways I've bound my life to do all these perfect Christian things, what could I be missing? Because the scribes seemed to have all the authority of the time. And they were part of the people that killed Jesus. 
And these people were amazed that Jesus spoke with authority over the scribes. And so maybe sometimes we fall into that. We figured it out. We know. But we'd be standing there with everyone else crucifying Jesus because we know we figured it out. Jesus has authority. Jesus is showing us how to live through his sermon. Back to Matthew 7, 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the man who builds his house on the rock. Paul goes on to say in 2 Timothy 4. So, uh, real quick thing. Those of you who read the Bible, the Bible is not inspired by chapter breaks and numbers. That was added later so we could easily talk about it, right? So, instead of saying, turn to the 200th word in Psalms, like that would, that would be terrible. So, they broke it up, right? So, there, there's some understanding there. But I believe, and, and I think most scholars back up, that's not inspired. It's interesting how it worked out, but it's a categorical tool. And so, sometimes Sometimes, especially, not sometimes, every time you read Paul, say, every time I read Paul, ignore the numbers. Because here's what happens. We think Paul said chapter 3, and then he stopped and said, hmm, I'm going to go get a snack. I'll come back to this thought later. The end of chapter 3 is the beginning of chapter 4. It's all one thought. It's all coming together. And that's so important for how you read the Bible. Because sometimes we break all these things up and we completely miss the point because we're saying, well, he said in chapter 3 and then in chapter 6, he kind of changed his mind. No, it's all one thought, right? So sorry if no one's ever told you that. You need to know that today. When you read Paul, especially any of his letter, forget the numbers. Just read it as a letter. Carry on. 2 Timothy 4, it's right after we just read. So this is good, right? This is good for teaching. Uh, it's breathed by God to complete, to, to equip everyone for good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, the ju- who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. What's the Word? The words of Jesus, the words of God, right? It's the Spirit who gives life. The words I've spoken to your spirit and life. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Here we go. Verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Do you know people like this? Just think for a minute, close your eyes. It's a nice little moment. And think for yourself of a kind of person that only looks at the research and information and things that suit themselves. Imagine the person that that just will tell you all the things that ironically and interestingly only work for their life and it's all the research, the actual research, the real research, but it's most comforting to them and it never challenges them, it just happens to fit in the way they want to view the world. Can you think of someone like that? You can think of someone like that. You probably are someone like that. I'm not really good at Socratic twists. I'm just going to come out and say it. So you are someone like that. All of us have itching ears. That's our culture. Like, man, this morning on Facebook, there are things posted by people I love who seek King Jesus that are absolutely ridiculous, that have nothing to do with the king. The king have everything to do with their own personal political standards and are not pointing anyone towards King Jesus, but are pointing people to think about how I'm right and I figured it out and I can make fun of President Biden or whatever. And we have to stop and say, hold on. Do I really believe Jesus has all authority? Or do I care so much about my authority in this moment that I need to post this on Facebook so everyone laughs at me and thinks that my ways are right? We think these things are innocent. But they don't communicate that King Jesus has all authority. They communicate that you have all authority. That things orbit you. And Paul says there's a time coming where people have itching ears. And they're going to seek out for themselves. They're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. 
How would you know if you're like this? Do you have the humility to open up and say, hey, maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I need to repent. What if Jesus meant what he said? What if few people find it? That means that the majority of us could be missing it, if you know math. That should give us pause. Please don't sit here and think, that's not me. I've got it figured out. How, how would you know? Thank God that you're here. Thank God that we're one body, growing together, being fitted together in Christ, growing to the maturity of him, Ephesians 4. That's why we're here. Repent. Jesus is telling us to listen and obey, to build on the rock, enter through the narrow gate. Jesus spoke with all authority, and he intends for us to listen and follow him. The Sermon on the Mount starts with this phrase, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus starts by saying, hey, here's the the gospel of the kingdom. You need to repent. You know who's already in? The poor in spirit. Why? We've talked about this. This has been the theme the whole time through Sermon on the Mount. We talk about this because this is our posture. We understand that we've got nothing in our bank account. We don't come to God and say, look at this thing I've done. Look at my church attendance. Look at this. Because he'll say, I never knew you. We come to God and we say, I'm poor in spirit. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. That's all we've got. That's our only hope. And the Sermon on the Mount ends, starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit. It ends with Jesus calling us to action. Are you really known? Are you really building on the rock? Are you really entering through the narrow gate? This is the Sermon on the Mount. More on this stupid traveling epic of mine. It wasn't just that I was on the wrong road going from uh, Bell, Missouri to Kansas City in order, or from, to St. Louis in order to get to Kansas City. I was on the wrong road in a lot of ways. I was arrogant. I was in a very bad relationship, very toxic, uh, making a lot of poor choices. Uh, anyone, the, any of you that can imagine all the bad things you do in a relationship, that was me. That was my relationship. Um, and I was a womanizer. I crushed this girl. I uh, hurt her in a lot of ways. Uh, I probably preached terrible sermons. I don't even remember being there, honestly. Um, uh, I don't remember being in Raleigh, Kansas. I don't remember preaching there. I remember all the bad things my girlfriend and I did together. And I remember when we broke up, and I remember years of rippling the same road to destruction. So many people were hurt and crushed by my sin and by me deciding that I had all authority, that David was right. I'm David freaking Newton. So many people. And I, I hope that if any of those people ever catch us online, if they ever see me again, that they're not holding me as a judge of who I was. But they see that all I have is Jesus. Because I can't make any of those things right. I can't fix that girl or that girl. I don't want to name any names. I can't fix any of them. I can't fix all the people that that I crushed with the gospel saying, this is what Christianity is. Fake it. Do some magic tricks. Make people think you're cool. And then have all these awful horse relationships on the side. I can't fix that. But what I can do is say, King Jesus is all I have. And he looks at me and he forgives me. And he changes me. He gives me a new name. He says he loves me. And that I'm defined by my Father. I'm poor in spirit. That's it. And I tell you that story not because I want to unearth all the awful things so you forget that I'm great ever because I'm not. I tell you that story to hope that maybe you could share in that vulnerability and acknowledge, you know what? We're all poor in spirit. And maybe you're on the wrong road. I was on the wrong road for a long time. And thank God that he called me to repentance. And I said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to stop all these dumb things and I'm going to get on the hard road through the narrow gate through King Jesus. I was on the wrong road. I was trying to have my own authority. Do you see Jesus as the one who has all authority in our lives? Do you listen to his words? Do you pursue him with everything? 
Is that, is that a part of your life? Does Jesus have all authority? Or is it still something you're trying to hold on to, trying to control for yourself? We're going to be talking about the book of Judges. We're moving into the book of Judges. Here's the theme verse for the book of Judges because I think it, it explains all the book of Judges. Judges 21:25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You have to read it like that because it's very like dark and twisted kind of epic tale. Judges is a horrifying book. Every awkward thing you could imagine in Scripture. You've heard people talk about, oh, there's this weird thing and this weird thing. It's in Judges. There's going to be moments where we actually don't read all the stories because of children and because we want to be careful. about. It's a rough book. I encourage you to sit at home and read it. But it's a horrifying book. Why? Because everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Nothing, nothing is new under the sun. They have itching ears just like us. They don't want to give authority to anyone else. They're broken and they want to rebel and they say, I want to be like God. I want to know good from evil. I will be in control. Same thing happened to Adam and Eve, happened to Israel, happens to us. Itching ears, trying to accumulate for ourselves. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There's a lot of gore and death and ugly stuff. If you have a middle school boy, you should read it with them. They'll get pumped. Keith likes to tell my kids about it and then I have to be like, yeah, okay, that is in the Bible. Thanks, Keith. So, uh, I'm just kidding. But, uh, uh, so many quotes just went through my mind. I'm not gonna, I can't say them up here. But that's for Sunday school. Go to Keith's class. He'll tell you your, your, your kids all about the good stuff. But uh, all of it is depravity of man. All of it is the corruption that happens when we seek our own ways. It's a pluralistic worldview where they do what's right in their own eyes. And it's absolutely relevant to our culture. Because we want to do what's right in our own eyes. We don't want to submit to a God. We don't believe he has all authority. Here's the main theme of Judges. There's an image that we're going to show. It's a cycle. Um, this is from a Bible Project video that I'll uh, share so we can all watch on Facebook. But here's the main thing we're going to see over and over in Judges. You have sin. And you have, it leads to oppression, to darkness, to pain, all these problems. So sin, not missing the mark, not doing what God calls us, getting away from God's desire. And then that leads to oppression and uh, the Israelites uh, being stomped on, having big problems. And then they repent, right? They have a change of mind, a change of heart. They want to turn. And then there's some deliverance. God sends a judge. When you think of judge in the book of Judges, we're not thinking of like... We're thinking of like a tribal leader, someone who, who is given authority, power. A lot of times the spirit moves. Interesting thing. But they have some sort of deliverance. And then there's a time of peace. And that peace leads to, oh, things are good. I'm in control. Back to sin. Over and over and over. And each time the cycle actually gets worse and worse and worse. And each judge is worse and worse and worse. And things get worse and worse and worse. Darker and darker and darker. It gets again to the point where there's some things in the last few chapters we can't, we're not even going to read. Because it's, it's tough. It's tough we just don't read out loud. In front of, why? That's the point. It's dark, intense narrative to tell us exactly how bad things are when we're corrupt and we're apart from God. And it turns out that none of these judges can change people's hearts. This is why Jesus says all through the sermon, you need a heart change. I pray as we go through the book of Judges that we recognize that we need a Savior. We need a heart change. There is a, there is a narrow gate. There is a hard road. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He has all authority. Do you believe Jesus has all authority in your life, in your situations, in your doubts? We are poor in spirit. Open your hands. This is our posture. Come to Jesus, poor in spirit. There's a couple things as we... We're going to move to a time of response. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together here in a minute. Um, there's a couple ways I would encourage you to respond uh, this morning. Maybe as we talk about all authority, maybe you realize a situation, a thing in your life where God doesn't have all authority. 
I would encourage you right now, get out a piece of paper, get out your phone, whatever you need to do, uh, whisper it in the ear of your neighbor, tell someone, tell God, talk to yourself right now and figure out, what is it that I, I really am not trusting God having authority? What authority am I trying to hold on to? Because I think so often there are things in our life that we don't want to submit to God. We don't really believe God has authority over our marriage anymore, over our parenting, over our job, over our addiction, over our mouth, over our depression, whatever it is. We don't believe that Christ has authority. But thank God that he's brought you here today. Because in some ways you've given up some authority because you've listened to me talk for 40 minutes or something. So thank God that he's doing that. But we're reading his word. We're saying, who has all authority? King Jesus has all authority. What if Jesus meant what he said? What if you find it? Maybe this morning you need to submit. Say, man, I don't, I don't, I'm poor in spirit, Father. I don't have any authority. And I'm trying so hard to hold on to this thing. But I want to trust you with it because I really don't have control over it. Whatever it is. And I know a lot of you got stuff we talk about. This is your time when we respond. Another way that you can be responding, maybe, you know, we talk about this phrase, give your life to God. Maybe, maybe that's never something you've done. You've never trusted Christ with your life. You're like, man, I, I want to trust Christ in my life. I want to, to be forgiven. I want to have the Spirit into me. I don't know how. We, we've talked about this verse the last couple weeks. Paul says it pretty plainly in Romans 10, 9, and 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So maybe this is your morning, finally, to give up all your authority, all your control, all the roads that you're on, all the things you're trying to do. You say, man, that's it. I'm going to confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. That's it. That's the only salvation I have. I'm poor in spirit. I need that. Maybe that's your thing to respond to this morning. We talk every week about baptism, about joining the church. Man, join a gospel-centered church. Whether you're watching at home, whether you're in here, why not? You're here. You're listening. Why are you not an accountable member of a church saying, God, I want to trust you with where you've put me. I want to trust you with these people. I want to trust you to seek you. I want to trust you to follow and be obedient in baptism. And show everyone that I'm committed to you, that I trust you. As we have this moment to respond, there are two things you can do. Uh, there's several things you can do, but specifically, you can come grab the elements. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But I would encourage you to talk to God about what you need to submit. Where do you not believe he has all authority? Because he has it, whether or not you believe it or not. Where are you not submitting to him? Do you need to give your life to him, finally? Do you need to quit running? Do you need to join the church? What is it that you need to be obedient to God? And, and lastly, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. What, what better way to worship and respond to, to Jesus who has all authority by celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning? Man, the Lord's Supper does several things for us as a body. And we could talk, we could have a whole sermon on it. We have these, these uh, five phrases we've been saying that I think are really helpful. Um, as, you, as you respond right now, as you prepare your hearts for the Lord's Supper, think about these things. How we look backward and we remember Christ's body and blood given for us on the cross. His death has brought us forgiveness and eternal life through Him. Look outward. Celebrate the kingdom family we have with brothers and sisters Christ. Look around and thank God for these people that he's given. His kingdom, his people in your life to speak into your life, the things you struggle with, the things that, that you need, that God's given you a community, a kingdom that you get to be a part of. Look upward and realize that we have an eternity with him. And he is the one who sustains us and comforts and nourishes our hurting and hungry hearts with all we need. We look inward and we examine our hearts, as scripture tells us, to ensure we're walking in faith and repentance through Jesus Christ and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have a problem with someone in this room, man, talk to them about it. Pray with them about it. Jesus says, set, set your offering aside. 
Deal with the heart problem you have with someone else. We look inward. We look forward. We wait and hope for the glorious day when we celebrate the fulfillment of God's promise in eternity. One day God's going to make all things right. He's continuing to make it right through his body, through his king, through his church. And one day he's going to make it all right when he returns. This is what we do. We take the elements and we remember Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. So as we move into this time response, if you need to come talk with me, if you need to join the church, give your life to the Lord, anything you're wrestling with, you need someone to pray with, come up here. But also during this time, grab the elements, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper after we sing. God, I pray that you would guide us now as we respond. Lord, I pray through the power of your spirit that you would give us a posture of being poor in spirit. We would stop looking to ourselves. We'd stop uh, overanalyzing and trying to figure everything out. But we would submit to you and trust that you have all authority. God, whatever decisions need to be made for, for membership, for baptism, or whatever it is you're moving people's hearts, I pray that by your spirit that we would boldly respond. Jesus, you called us to respond, to listen and obey your words. And I pray that this morning we would obey. We would step out if that's obedience, is, is worshiping you, whatever it is. God, guide us, guide our hearts, our minds as we remember you through, through the Lord's Supper, through the elements you taught us. Guide us as we worship you. Protect us from distraction and, and from the enemy, from evil. May your spirit move. Your kingdom coming will be done. This is your time to respond.